You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, y'all. Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. In the lore of ghosts and hauntings, there's a common phenomenon reported in many stories. It's a very specific kind of haunting, sometimes called a residual haunting, sometimes called a place memory haunting, wherein a visual scene or a series of sounds repeats again and again for different witnesses. Sometimes it's a shadow or ghostly image, sometimes the same sound of activity. Sometimes it's a horrific act played out again and again for those alleged to be sensitive enough to see it or experience it. In the field of ghost research, they have a very specific name for this idea. They call it the stone tape theory. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland. It's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. In today's episode, we're going to hear an interview with writer, researcher, working scientist, and notable skeptic Sharon Hill. We talk about a lot of things in this episode, but Sharon recently finished up some very interesting work on the stone tape theory, and I was happy to provide the tiniest bit of assistance to her and wanted to make sure that listeners are aware of the work. Links to her write-up of her findings will be in our show notes at monstertalk.org. Monster Talk. Let me just start by saying welcome back to Sharon Hill. Uh, you, according to my Googling, you last appeared on episode 61, which is a, just a tragedy. You, you, should be, <laughs> you should be around more. Obviously, you've been out in the public eye, especially for skeptics for some time. So um, yeah. our, our listeners should know you from Doubtful News, and they should know about your podcast, which is relatively new, 15 Credibility Street. We'll put a link to those in the show notes. And your new website, uh, Spooky Geology. Yeah, you know, I kind of got 
a little jaded with doubtful news after six years of the same stories coming up again and again and again. No, it's not the Loch Ness monster. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not a UFO for real. Um, so I, I guess I got kind of burned out and I wanted to do something different. And um, this just sort of came to me. Uh, spooky geology, it was influenced by a talk that I saw by uh, Professor Dr. Tom Holtz, who is a dinosaur guy at the University of Maryland. And he did that. And I'm thinking, it's not quite what I would would do, but um, it was close enough. There's a lot of overlap. And I wanted to do stuff like talk about uh, the stone tape idea, which is the ultimate in spooky geology that ghosts are recorded into the fabric of the walls or the bedrock. And um, there's a lot of spooky places that are associated with possible geologic activity. And there's a, a ton of spooky stuff about volcanoes and earthquakes and, and, and things like that. So there, there's a ton of material that I could use. And I, I'm just getting started. So, yeah, that's, that's a fun new website. Different direction, but hopefully, um, you know, reach sort of a different audience. I like the word spooky because I think about like those that series of books like uh, Weird America, Weird New Jersey, all those weird uh, books. I have a bunch of those. And um weird, I mean that's that's true, you know. That there's a lot of weird things out there, but spooky kind of catches it a little better, I think, uh, maybe. Because weird could also be zany, right? Exactly. Right. And there th sometimes you're searching for that word and it just doesn't exist. But in this case, spooky just fit. And the the thing was that Jeb Card, who you've had on before, and you've done the cross. Yeah, he's um, he's podcast. he doesn't he's kind of a uh, there's a weird bromance, totally heterosexual, <laughs> but but bromance there. I, we have so much in common for having never met. So right, but he had he had a spooky archaeology site, or a, it was called Spooky Paradigm. But basically, it's about archaeology, and of course, the Ar Ar Archie Fantasies podcast is is kind of about these spooky things. So when I came up with the idea, I searched for another word. And I didn't want to feel like I was ripping him off. But I asked him, I said, you know, I'm doing all this stuff. And I, I run these ideas by him. And I said, is, this, is it okay if I use spooky geology? He says, oh, sure, go ahead. So I immediately went and got the URL. <laughs> and I said, you might want to go and get your URL for his new book coming out. And so he did the same thing. So, yeah, we've, we've got our, our, our URLs reserved. And, you know, that, that those are our branding things now. Well, because we never get to talk, I have a bunch of little bulleted things I'd like to discuss. So some of these will be close to your heart and some of these may be not. If you don't want to talk about them, we can just edit that out. But okay. um, first of all, uh, how did you get involved in skepticism as uh, for, for as disorganized? I'm going to say as an organized movement, but <laughs> that, which uh, is making me laugh. But you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I know very well what you mean. Um well, I think you'll hear this similar story. And because I was always interested in paranormal things, uh, especially cryptozoology and ghosts and UFOs, when I was a kid and looking at the books, all we had were the believer books that promoted that positive, these things really exist point of view. And when I had a chance to actually start, I had access to a bigger library, like a university library or, or local public libraries that were much bigger. And I started to see skeptical literature about these topics. It was so much better. It was so more, it was much, much more satisfying. It wasn't the same stupid story repeated over and over again, the same errors propagated. So that's how I started reading Stephen Jay Gould and, and started reading Skeptical Inquirer and, and, 
realized that there was something there, there was another way to look at these topics that was far more intellectually satisfying and i was hooked i mean that's you know that's my that's my point of view now yeah so i i we, i think we have a very similar backstory to how we got into this i mean the, the interest in these weird topics i mean that seems to be one of those things that may be just down to how the person's human nature is you know it's not everybody right it goes back to that word weird but it seems like there should be something where like uh, schools should get a free copy of skeptical inquirer or skeptic magazine or both because um i never encountered those things uh, any of the real skeptical literature until i was well into adulthood right. and i feel like it's something that I, kids would have enjoyed. I know I would have enjoyed it. If, if somebody had given me a subscription to that, it would have changed my life, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and a point also is if you go, and I do this, I go to the public library and I go to the kids, the juvenile literature section, and I go to the 001 section, and I look at the kids' books that are coming out on these topics, and I read them. And I see how uh, good or bad they are. And there are some good ones. And but most of them are the same old stuff recycled again. There really is a niche for providing a better commentary for kids on this subject. Um, I've tried to do it. Uh, I, I plan to do it more in the future. I would love to to get a publisher to agree to do series on on the this topic. You know, different topics, a book for each topic that is directly geared towards middle readers and and give them the opportunity to see some some better thinking on these subjects. Yeah, me too. That's a, a, a project I've been thinking about a lot. But I, I want to see a series called Unsolved Mysteries, but the UN slashed out. Like, so, so it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's solved mysteries. And it's like these right. same recycled stories, but the explanations are there. So, you, you know, it's like that missing last chapter that kind of says, oh, but but really, you know. <laughs> right, right. But Daniel yeah. Cohen used mm-hmm. to do those books uh, for Scholastic. And I, I mean, I still have several of his books. And he did a wonderful job. But there, they seem to be all out of print from as near as I can tell. Yeah, I haven't been able to find them either. And he was uh, he was like one of the early people I wanted to talk to. And by the time I contacted I think you may already know this, but like by the time I contacted him, he had had a massive stroke and he's not really able to talk. So I was so disappointed. And uh, I mean, and his life's kind of a tragedy. It, it, it's one of those things I probably should just do an episode on it. But he, you know, he spent a huge. He was one of the founding members of Psychop. And he spent years doing books about monsters and mysteries and ghosts and stuff, that sort of thing, for, but with a skeptical bent, right? So he didn't just leave the mystery out there. He would always bring in the, well, what's more likely or isn't this possible? That kind of thing. So, Yeah, I love those books. I want to talk about you've produced something called the Media Guide to Skepticism, which I think is a very useful tool. Could you talk about what that is and what it's for? Right. Uh, I was inspired by seeing a scientist create the media guide to volcanoes. And it was designed for journalists to use to show here, here are the basic facts you can always use if you're doing a story about volcanoes. And here are the thing here are the resources that you can go to to get more information and Explain a couple terms to make sure that they get it right. Very basic things for the journalist who does not have a background in this subject but is going to write a story about it. Why not take this primer, primer, some people say, and and you have a foundation to build a, a better factual article about it. So, well, there wasn't – there certainly wasn't one for skepticism and, and we were seeing quite often people not understanding what it was – 
uh, that that some of us were trying to do, the point of view we're trying to put forward, what it means to be a skeptic and what it doesn't mean to be a skeptic. And at that point, there was a lot, a lot of stuff going on. There still is about climate skepticism. So that was the hot button topic. And there was a lot of assumptions made about skeptics are all atheists or skeptics are all mean and, and grumpy. <laughs> and there, there needed to be some sort of framework to see here's what skepticism is. And it's really useful. And you might want to expand on those topics uh, when, when you talk about a controversial scientific issue like creationism, you might want to understand what it means to be a, a, a real practicing skeptic and talk to those persons who, who are doing this every day. The whole idea of journalism and how they cover uh, sort of these spooky topics is something that's I, I want to dig into more in some future episodes because we just had an episode where we interviewed a guy who was a journalist professor and he went under, not undercover, he just went into Bigfoot hunting for a while and wrote a book about it. And when we were talking to him, it, this so the, the coverage, the way these stories are done, it's like it's always like a fluff piece or a puff piece or, or whatever right. you want to call it. And um, I think the, they miss out on the part that these are stories that are very viral and that kind of like, touch on a lot of people's really deeply held beliefs and th the way they treat them it's like haha you know here's some weird thing right and like mm -hmm. is it true or not it doesn't matter you know buy some popcorn here or buy some chips or whatever our next commercial is for right or i guess you know depends or whatever but, but. <laughs> <laughs> i haven't watched the news in a while but i, I <laughs> they it, it just bothers me because they they want to be taken as like serious journalists who are telling the facts but so much of the stories are really more geared for light entertainment and you know just filling up time and yeah they're really missing out on an opportunity to educate the public on something important right i mean which you know it's the premise of this show is you can look at monsters and learn about science and then you know just even talking about science there's the other thing that kind of bugs me and it doesn't bug me like i wish people would stop it completely but i just want to make sure that they understand the difference between science and technology and for sure and and if you look even like google news they put science slash tech but hardly any of the stories about science. Science journalism is terrible. And I don't mean that it's terrible because it's a bad idea. I mean, it's terrible because nobody executes on it properly. Mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, they always try to pry out one bullet point that's like, here's how the chocolate can make you younger. Or, you know, it's something about you. Like, y if you do this thing, it'll be this way because of this study. And science doesn't work in these, like, sweeping ways. It, it works through slow, incremental accretion of facts through t trial and error and paying close attention to the error. And it's really hard. And technology, while it's really cool at best, is a product of science, right? It's a, be it's a product of the methodology, and it just ugh, it drives me crazy. You know? <laughs> I love and, science. And I have an iPhone. Okay, that's, that's technology. <laughs> exactly. And, and oh, there's, there's a whole I – don't, I don't even want to lift this rock, but a couple of the things are popularizing science, being science cheerleaders. Yes, I love science. And then you, you end up uh, promoting these stories that are so poorly done and, and potentially really wrong or promoting pseudoscience, and you can't tell the difference. Uh, another thing I see is the conflation between science and skepticism, which I think is is something I learned when I was doing the media guide, thanks to 
uh, Bob Blaskowitz and, and Eve Siebert who told me, look, you're confusing science and skepticism. They're not scientists, but they do skepticism. They do critical thinking by doing just good investigation and finding good evidence, whether that be textual analysis or uh, art history or, 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 you know, Eve does stuff on Shakespeare. She goes in and she looks for the best evidence. And you don't need to be a scientist to do that. You don't need to be a scientist to do good paranormal investigation either. And and I, I wish that we could get that point across better. I I'm an advocate for outreach, and I do not think that the major skeptical organizations have have approached this in a way that could expand their audience because everybody is interested in these topics, and we really could make it um, far more educational, far more useful to them if they could understand that skepticism is a tool that we could use in everyday life, no matter what you do, every day, decisions that you make every day. That's true. And, and that and the critical thinking aspect of it are so important for schools because uh, I don't need to go any further than the family reunion to find out that <laughs> the critical thinking is not really required to get to a ripe old age. You can live your whole life and never be a critical thinker. This stuff's not required. I mean, it, it can save your life, but you can go like you can live a full life with wackadoodle ideas just sure. floating around in your head. So I guess one of the tough challenges is to tell people why it matters, you know, and, and there does seem to be a weird I don't say weird, but and I don't know what the split is, but there seems to be a large percentage, maybe more than half, that that evidence isn't as important as how gut feels, you know, and, mm. and, and that sort of type one, type two brain function is uh, it's it's not a natural way of thinking. You know, thinking with your gut is very natural. I, I don't know that it's really great. I don't I don't expect that really great advances for again science and technology uh, will come out of that sort of thing. But you know, sometimes that's necessary. But I, it's still, I, I, I feel, which is a, maybe that's a type one thing. I feel <laughs> <laughs> like advancing critical thinking and rationality, ultimately, even if it's painful, leads to better decision making. So, oh sure, yeah, and I uh, definitely just, I definitely agree with that. But uh, you know, and, and that's that can be a really deep topic. But uh, it's something we both care about, and I, I'd like to do whatever I can to help promote, which is why I'm having you on. I think your your podcast, 15 Credibility Street, is something people that like Monster Talk will probably really enjoy. It's very different. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it feels to me more like uh, if Doubtful News uh, were a podcast. Um, but but it so you cover lots and lots of stuff, polit- politics, current news, monster stories, science stories. It's, it's very fun. And uh, you and your co-hosts, uh, and I'm going to mess up here. It's Torkel and... The guy who does those cool skeptical uh, podcast reviews, uh, Howard. Howard. Right? <laughs> Jesus, sorry, <Right>. Howard. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, Howard has left us. He's chosen to go move on, but um, he, he was instrumental in helping us uh, launch the podcast. Well, so. he made it a while then. Okay. so that's... And and we're going to miss him. Yeah. I, I enjoy his skeptical reviews. Great they, commentary. So yeah. Not just because he's been kind to ours, but I, I do enjoy his reviews. So. <laughs> Well, if you you know if you notice, one of the things with the podcast is having a female lead is a unique thing. There aren't too many skeptical podcasts that have a female lead. I can't, don't really know that many I could think of offhand, even. But um, having di- people of different backgrounds and different uh, specialties talking about the same topic, we really got a strange mix of views on some of the some of the takes we've we've discussed. And I learn a lot, and we learn a lot from each other. And we don't prepare a lot ahead of time. 
Uh, we don't know what each other is going to say. Right. That's very cool. It's very it's very conversational. It's very light, right. but it's got a lot of good information in it. So, but it, it it's something that I wanted to get across. Look, this is everyday stuff you see in the news. You look at the news. These are the stories that you've you've gotten fed to you. What m- might you think about them in a skeptical way or in a, in a more critical way? And we just sort of talk about that. And, you know, science is important to me, so I tend to go a little bit heavy on the science and society stuff because that's that's what I want to make better. I, I want uh, – that's my interest in how, how science interacts with just everyday society, just the people on the street, the non-scientist. And so that's kind of what I'm gearing the, the discussion towards. Yeah, when it comes to like scope, like to pick the scope for this podcast, you know, monsters and science are – are really broad topics, and, and people were like, "Well, what are you going to have like you know an episode of Bigfoot and Nessie, and you're done?" And I'm like, "No, I mean, there's lots of things you can talk about, but the uh, uh, one of the things is that a lot of monsters scare people, and you know, I, I feel like if we talk about them, and we can talk about the scary parts of it, but when it comes down to is it plausible or uh, are these real animals or real monsters or, or any of that kind of stuff, I feel like we're probably helping a little bit, especially like on our, I feel like we've covered uh, sleep paralysis very well. And that's that's something that I have a personal experience with. And people have experiences that are very strange and unusual. And, and sometimes that skepticism might help them have a better day, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and it doesn't just have to be things that they're afraid of. It might keep them from losing money or being ripped mm-hmm. off, you know? And um, so there are some benefits. And, and I think any way you can sort of uh, question your beliefs and see if they hold up and, you know, that's not something some some people don't even have time to do that. But I, I think this is worthy work, and I appreciate you doing it. So, oh, thanks. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if people are going to Google a topic they're interested in, and they hit upon a smarter, critical evaluation of something from somebody who actually likes this topic and likes to talk about it, that's a neat thing because it, it could it could plant the seed to for them. You know, they may still go on believing the next day, but in the back of their mind, they remember that there was this pretty good article or pretty good podcast that they came across that had some interesting ideas they'd never heard before. Yeah. They, a, a lot of the, um, I, like if you talk about, for example, uh, climate change, there is, um, there's so much heated emotional politics behind that, that it's really difficult to talk about it. You can talk about it completely rationally and, and, and with, about evidence, but I think for the average person, they're going to Google, and and there's this whole idea of confirmation bias. We talk about that a lot. That that you tend to f- look for things that support your beliefs. So if you Google for uh, things that might support your particular belief, you're going to find them because they're out there. But Google is not a, a much of an arbiter of truth, and you have to have those skills. Uh, to figure out which evidence is real, which evidence is not. And, and, you know, you need to know a little bit about statistics and you have to be open to like following the facts wherever they lead. And I I find that uh, most of those conversations never get that far because they break down into shouting matches. So, (laughs) yeah, it's 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 really an yeah, it's an art to try to approach these topics in a democratic way. And I'm excited. I mean, I think I'm not sure if you like committed on this or not, but I'm going to be going to that cryptid con that you pointed out to me. Um, yep. I plan on going. I think it'll be cool. So I, I, that's, that's, that should be a good example, hopefully of, uh, because I, I, 
Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, consciousness, philosophy, UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost, and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand yeah. and probably won't understand. That's our yeah. whole show. <laughs> so join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. I've tried to, to do what you've done, which is to actually go out with ghost hunting groups and... Uh, for some reason, I, I don't I don't know how I, I think I somehow got a weird reputation uh, as a skeptic, which is okay. I, I am a skeptic, <laughs> but I'm also really nice. I don't. <laughs> I would like to go. I want to go and see what's being done, and I want to participate. I don't. I'm not. I don't want to go out and laugh at everybody. I want to go. You know, see how they're thinking. You know, see what's happening. And maybe find a ghost. That would be awesome. But <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny part was when I went on my first ghost hunt with with the group. I remember going there and thinking on my way there, thinking, "I wonder if I'll be scared. I wonder if really standing out in the dark in this place that is pretty creepy, and it 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 just lends itself. It's got that feeling of of creepiness to it. Will I be scared?" I hate horror movies. I hate things that jump out. I, I don't like that stuff. But yeah, I was not scared one second. I mean, I wasn't even scared of the gigantic bugs that were crawling around. Everybody else was scared of those too. Of course, they were they were freaked out about every ghost that was around the corner. But yeah, I it seemed to me I was the courageous one. <laughs> wow. So do you think um do you think a lot of that is for the thrills of it? I mean, I, I don't know, but and and I'm not criticizing if it is because people obviously seeking thrills is part of the human experience. So for me, apparently, all I need to do is go to the basement at night and I get creeped out. But you know, that's <laughs> neither here nor there. <laughs> there, there's a tremendous amount of uh, sociology in these paranormal pursuits. Um, I've just my book is at the publisher. It's going to be done later this year about paranormal uh, 
amateur paranormal investigation groups. And so that covers the ghosts, the UFOs, and the monsters. Actually, that's what I was going to actually, my next question was going to be, what can you tell us about your new book? So <laughs> let me retroactively say, hey, what can you tell us about your new book? <laughs> so do you have a title for it? Yeah, so far it's, it. they have officially said the title is going to be Scientifical Americans. Interesting. I like that. Uh, scientifical being people who try to apply science but because they're not scientists and they don't have they're not they don't have the training and the skills in science they make it they make it out to be something that it's sounds sciencey but it's really pseudoscience That's, it's no, I'm not not a marketing expert but they didn't want to go with sciencey americans I, or what, what was that the title? What, what title did you want originally? I, I did propose that title, Scientifical Americans. Because oh, you did? Okay. Science, scientifical was a word that I used. Being scientifical was the premise of the thesis that the book is based on. Okay, that was cool. the title of the thesis. And what I saw were these groups going out and not only are they pursuing answers to their own experiences, they want to find out more. Uh, there's a there's a tremendous social aspect to being with people who also believe the same things that you do and going out and having these fun adventures. And there's a sense of feeling of doing something important. You're going to prove that ghosts or Bigfoot exists. Uh, there's also uh, this sense of, of being an authority on something that other people don't feel that they're an authority on, but you don't have to go to school to, to get it. Uh, you're, you're paid attention to by the media who treat you like experts. And there's many, many things wrapped into this experience of being an amateur paranormal investigator. And so what I did was look at the way that they used science in their pursuits. If they say they use science, and if they did say they used it, how did they actually use it? Well, it was the gizmos and the gadgets, the blinky lights and the big words like quantum and things. It's that, that It was very superficial stuff that wasn't really science. And I think that that reflects a lot upon the American cultural view of science we love it but we don't understand it it goes back to conflating science and technology yeah yeah yep. pet peeve well that sounds awesome so uh, do you have a rough idea of i mean i think you said it was already do you have a proof or you've already turned in the final manuscript and then you've got to I've get turned a proof? in the final manuscript i'm waiting for the the galleys and the galleys, all sorts yeah. of stuff yeah that's, that's, <laughs> and then to index it and things like that so oh I my think god the indexing yeah. <laughs> I, I, so i haven't even gotten that far but the uh uh I, I hear so many fun things about the indexing good luck with that <laughs> Yeah, some people love it. Yeah, some people and do. Some people I, I feel like torture. I would. Yeah, I, I I feel like I would try to do it with a script because I'm a, a programmer. But that's right. you know, <laughs> that's that might you know. There, I would also probably do one of those things where I like sort the words and count them so I can see what word that I use the most because I know yeah. I have a I have a horrible habit of saying fascinating and I know exactly where that comes from, Mr. Spock. So uh, <laughs> it's like you can't escape those things. So anyway, that, that's neat. Um, so I'm, congratulations on that. Uh, is this going to be ready by Christmas? When is this ready? I should hope so. They they usually say around you know six th or three to six months or something like that. Wow. So can we talk about the stone tape a little bit? Sure. I hate to, to. I mean, it's I it that's one of those things. It's a topic uh, from the ghost hunting world that I've always been interested in um, because it definitely predates me. Um, I only got to see the the film, the stone tape. Um, Maybe for the first time about a year and a half ago, I think, uh, and, and really enjoyed finally, you know, putting the the, the narrative to the words, right? So mm -hmm. it, it was very cool. But let's just pretend that our listeners don't know anything about stone tape theory and give us an overview. 
Well, first of all, I'd like to thank you for giving me the opportunity to see that movie, but <laughs> by, uh, but I was able to watch the movie and I was surprisingly impressed by it. And I really liked it. So the stone tape idea goes back very, very far. And when I started actually looking for it, because I wanted to know where it came from. Obviously, you hear it thrown about a lot as an explanation for residual hauntings, that there's something associated with the place and these residual hauntings look or, or are said to be experienced as if you're watching a movie or a videotape playing. And it's the same sound or the same image that keeps replaying and there's no interaction. So the idea was that there was something within the place itself that had captured the image somehow or the imprint from history and was then playing it back by some mechanism. So now you have the problem of how does this get recorded? How does it get stored? And then how does it get played back? So there's three problems with this idea, and it's been around since the days of the the SPR, the Society of Psychical Research. And I, I traced, and even before that, I traced it back um, to, well, obviously it wasn't called the stone tape because uh, magnetic tape wasn't around when when the idea was first proposed. So they didn't have this idea that you could record something via uh, some sort of uh, magnetic imprinting of the molecular structure of a tape or the crystals on a tape. But um, there always was this idea of a place memory. And so it could be, it was proposed to be possibly an, uh, um, a field, a psychic field, or some sort of field around an object that was maintained and that held the images, and that a person of a certain uh, psychical in inclination would be able to, to receive those images. Not everybody would receive it. And in the movie The Stone Tape, which was from 1972, uh, the writer actually took all those ideas, and most of those ideas, I think, came from uh, T.C. Lethbridge, who never used the word stone tape, but but really developed these ideas in a very dramatic and and obnoxiously <laughs> I don't I don't know what to say. I, I can't stand reading Lexbridge. And, it, and it's really funny because when I contacted Alan Murdy at the SPR, I said, you know, Lethbridge drives me nuts. He's 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 just so um obnoxious in the way that he writes things like he says things and he assumes that they're fact and you're not supposed to question them and he's like oh don't be too hard on lethbridge he was a fun character and yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> but but anyway that's where the idea came from so it's very much um speculation it was dramatic speculation and it's still speculation today because if you hear the ghost hunters talk about it they don't know what they're talking about and if you're a geologist and you hear them talk about it, that there's limestone bedrock here or that there's granite that's recording, you just cringe because it's absolutely untrue what they're saying. Again, they're being scientifical. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because it seems like in a way it's trying to apply a sort of scientific veneer to a, a, a common folklore belief, like that a, a particular thing will play back. That I mean, that's... Even I, I, I'm certain that there's folklore around that sort of thing, that if you go at certain places at certain times, you'll see a ghost. I mean, that's just mm. a really right. common thing, whether it's on a railroad track or an old castle or whatever. It, having that sort of uh, explanation does make it seem more scientific, right? And I, I know the SPR, a lot of their stuff uh, was that came out of that struggle between the scientists who wanted proof and the uh, enthusiasts who wanted things to be true um mm -hmm. 
and I, I find it to be such a fascinating group, and I would love to go just spend a long time in their library. I get along great with them, and I feel really comfortable being around them, even though we disagree, because I know that they're not going to yell obscenities at me like some commenters will on my website. <laughs> <laughs> they're 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 pretty polite, um, and and I don't mind that. I, I I learn a lot from them. The the archives there are incredible. I have access to the archives because I am a member, and I just dived in there the other day, and I'm like, I could be here forever. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, just reading the book reviews alone, I, I love reading book reviews. So they have all these book reviews at the end of all their proceedings and or journals, and I just love reading these reviews of these old books that I've read. But um, so much information in, in those archives, and it really is upsetting to me that these modern day ghost hunters never even know they have no inkling of what's been done before. So much work has been done before, but yet they keep trying to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Yeah. But even having said that, I still want to go without with a local group when I get a chance. <laughs> oh, it's fascinating. I mean, you'd really, it was, it was more than I thought it was going to be. It was, it was both better and worse than I thought it was going to be. If, if, if you can, you know, comprehend how that was. Some things were better, some things were worse. I mean, at one point they started talking about uh, their other case that involved a child and an exorcism. Two, oh. two different cases. Two different cases. One one involved a child with a monster in his room. The other involved an exorcism that they were going to do on a woman. And I just stood there with my mouth hanging open, and I got really angry. Yeah. Well, this is scary because those are kids, and you know, yeah. yeah. Speaking of, though, you just reminded me of something. Nice work on the stone tape because, right, it couldn't – the whole naming convention couldn't have worked before magnetic tape was invented, right? I keep thinking the same thing about the monster under the bed. (laughs) (laughs) What were they before there were beds? (laughs) It's a mystery. It needs to be solved. (laughs) Or closets. Right, right. So, I mean, I guess it was the thing just outside the door or whatever. I don't know, but – it, it seems to be a uh, – uh, there, there's some monsters that never – I mean, you know, they just seem to be a, a part of our culture. And right. Won't go away. And I didn't have to tell my children there was a monster under the bed. They they knew. I mean, they knew, right? <laughs> <laughs> just like they didn't have to be told that the floor is lava. You know? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yes. It's like, Hot lava. You don't need to be a geologist to know to jump from couch to couch, right? <laughs> oh, kids. <laughs> anyway, so uh, any uh, so I'm I'm a skeptical parent, and I'm I'm noticing that um, uh, skepticism is easy to talk about but hard to pass on. Uh, <laughs> you have any more stories about that? Oh my gosh, my kids are like totally have absorbed my my skeptical thinking, and they make fun of me. But yet, even though they laugh at me <clears throat> for being this serious and 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 yelling at the television sometimes. It's getting there. It's in their heads. That's good. Um, I have one one daughter who never showed any aptitude for geology or like physics or science or anything. She's in a geophysics program in in one of a major university in the country, and and I'm so proud. And it's like what my husband and I look at each other and go, we don't know what happened. All of a sudden, the light the light switch went on. And she loves it. She she loves what she does. And my younger daughter will start telling her teachers about my websites and my podcasts and what I do. And so now they're curious. And now they're on my websites looking at, which is kind of creepy. 
because then they come back and they start to talk to her about it. Well, I don't agree with what your mom said in this, <laughs> in this article. <laughs> and, and, you know, sometimes you have to meet them face to face. So it is a bit weird, but it's definitely rubbing off. And it's very gratifying to feel that. And I haven't really pushed it onto them. I'm, I, we, we enjoy watching uh, monster movies. Uh, my my daughter and I just last week we watched Gorgo together. We just laughed the whole time, you know, at the funny monster. Oh, nice! Know. That's so funny. I was just watching that really recently too. But, but yeah, I, I guess it's not that weird though, considering, right? <laughs> right, right. It's a popular movie. So we we go through the Godzilla movies and and the the um, Gamera movies and, and and things like that. So, uh, and we also sit and watch ghost shows and Bigfoot shows with each other sometimes and. I yeah I'm I'm the one who points out the flaws. Uh, that's been edited. Can't you tell? You, you, you see what happened. See what they did there. They edited it so it makes you makes it look like this has happened. And she just she gets frustrated with me, but it's in there. Yeah, it's in her brain. That's neat. I I still have one daughter who thinks the basement's haunted, and I I you know I I've tried to explain. You know what? I said. How can we prove it? If you can prove it's haunted, I will be delighted. So I, if anything you want to do to prove it's haunted, and I will help you. And she just gave me a mean look. But you know, <laughs> she's 11, going on 30. So <laughs> I know it. Well. Anyway, I will see how that turns out. I'm excited. I, they, uh, they all seem to have like little aspects of me and my wife in and, and, and just different ways. It's so cool to see. And they're, you know, they're all themselves. They're, it's, it's still... While I'm definitely not a miracle person, it is pretty spectacular to watch how these people turn from crying babies into functioning citizens. So Right, right. And, and it does make you feel good that now you've reproduced yourself and when you die, there'll be someone to carry on your, your vision or your values. I don't know if that's true, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> At least I'll have somebody hopefully who'll watch monster movies with me. I think if we could, if I can get that, I'll be happy. I don't know if they'll carry forward anything. I you know, although you know, I'm going to back that statement back because I have been watching them carefully trying to construct puns. So uh, yeah, so <laughs> oh, no. it's kind of sad, but I see where they're going. Okay, so I, <laughs> they all they're they're working on it. So. <laughs> Every now and then they get like one off. Acquired so. skill. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm sorry you took after your mom. It's just not going to happen. So, <laughs> I want to say thank you for joining us. Uh, I don't think I've ever asked you before, but we do ask our listeners, or, or who are you? Uh, guests. <laughs> Let me try that again. We do try to ask our guests when we're not completely failing as hosts. Um, what's your favorite monster? Oh, Blake, I tell you what, you, you, you are getting old because you've forgotten. That I already asked you? Yes. Okay, and damn it. And my answer was the Jersey Devil. Holy crap. See, because, was, because? Because he's got this uh, very interesting social context. And he's pretty darn creepy and scary and weird. Yep. And he lives in a creepy place in the Pine Barrens and you could scare yourself silly going through there and but yet you don't have to be afraid but he's got the whole demon thing going and 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 the the horse head and the the bat wings he's, yeah he's just fantastic as a as a visual creature of course it's all imaginary but but then the potential allegedly, imaginary allegedly <laughs> oh, I'm I'm going to I'm going to bet on 
legendary. <laughs> We're going to say provisionally imaginary until better evidence arises, right? <laughs> although, although I really do think that in some some of the some of the stories that I've read about people who say they've encountered the Jersey Devil, they have actually been like encountering. Uh, scary owls coming at them or things like that. So I think that they really have, there are some actual animals that are freaking people out and then the legend gets mapped onto their experiences. Oh, and so, I'm so looking forward to Brian Regal's book on the Oh, me too. So. Me too. In fact, I I did proofread a, a, a couple parts of it at one point and I even, I, I begged him, begged him to make the title, Let This One Be the Devil. But that's not the title he chose. Oh, that's a cool <laughs> title. That's a great title. Uh, I, oh, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about something like uh, if it breeds, it leads. But, you know, whatever. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. See, I can't even. That just That's just beyond my comprehension. I probably won't I even include that because like five listeners will go, oh, yeah, the leads devil. Right. I totally got it. <laughs> <laughs> it's an Easter egg. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Anyway, thank you. Uh, so thank you for reminding me. And uh, I think we've covered this before on the show. But uh, first of all, human memory is terrible, mine especially. Mm. Also, mm-hmm. I'm an idiot. So, yeah. Well, you've had so many people that you've asked who their favorite monster was. So. I kept hoping we would sort of cultivate the kind of audience that would supply me with a wiki so I could just go check in. Oh, right. <laughs> that yeah. did not develop. So, you know, that's okay. That's uh, That's all right. But... If I retire from this podcast at some point, I do want to go back and do some better annotations and pick back up my project of doing transcripts and that sort of stuff. So that's all good. Yeah, the transcriptions are really great because I've even used them in the past to go back and look. Um, Both your podcast and other podcasts that do transcriptions are are fantastic. It's very helpful if you want to like – especially my thought was always – uh, it, it Google search is better, and if, if somebody wants to reference it on Wikipedia, they can catch it really fast. So all those are great. Uh, I don't want to like use my show. That's not a means of promotion, but a lot of times we get really great evidence out there. And if if we can't, even in the show notes, you know, we can put the links in there, and people can go back and you know tie that to a Wikipedia article and help make that a better project. So um, right. I love that. Anyway, mm-hmm. thank you so much for making time for me. I appreciate oh, you're welcome. It. I always have a lot of fun talking to you, Blake. Monster Talk. You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith, and today you've heard me interview Sharon Hill about her research on the ghost tape theory, which is available on her blog at spookygeology.com. Links to that in our show notes at monstertalk.org. And be sure to check out her podcast, 15 Credibility Street, which we also link to, but which should be easily found in your favorite podcast app. Monster Talk is an official podcast of Skeptic Magazine. The opinions expressed here are those of myself and my guests and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Skeptic Magazine or the Skeptic Society. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. There we have links to our Patreon pages as well as the donation button. A great way to support the show is to buy us books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindle, and we can share our digital library with each other. Finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please, share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Please do take a moment to give us a positive review on iTunes if you have time. Those really do bring in a lot of new listeners, and we love getting the feedback. Monster Talk theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. Thanks again for listening. Did you know that you can now subscribe to Skeptic Magazine digitally? Just grab our free Skeptic Magazine app, currently compatible with iOS, Android, PC, Mac, Kindle Fire, Kindle Fire HD, and BlackBerry Playbook. Head over to skeptic.com magazine app to find out more and download more of your favorite Skeptic content. your code number you fed it in i didn't you must have done there are words they might be words see pray so that's so there pray prayer it's in the computer no it is it is bloody no.